0: I promised my son and myself three things. One, that I would return to the man of my pre-injury status, because I was not happy with the man that I was at that moment. Two, that I would find a way to come off all that medication that I was on, that I was told I would have to be on for the rest of my life. And I didn't care at that point what I had to do, where I had to go, who I had to see, you know, how much money it cost, how long it took, or what anybody else had to say about it. Because in my mind, those two things were non negotiable. And once they were accomplished, number three was to turn around and to help somebody else do the exact same thing. So what was once the wor- what I thought was the worst thing in my life, it's now turned out to be one of the best.
1: Hey folks, you're listening to 21 Gun Podcast, the official podcast of Irreverent Warriors. Speaking of Irreverent Warriors, I just got back today. It was kind of like last night from the leadership conference down at uh, San Antonio, and it went off with the resounding success. I am really looking forward to 2020 and what Irreverent Warriors has planned for this organization uh, for the years to come. I think we're gonna touch a lot of lives. And um, if you're listening to this, you're part of that journey. You're part of that process uh, of making this thing grow. So you should be very excited. um, And I hope to see you guys at some of the hikes out there. And if you're new, come out to a hike. Check out the hike schedule over at irreverentwarriors.com. 21 Gun's going to be doing some major changes this year. This is going to be the first, right now, the first call to action. Uh, what I'm looking for is national correspondence. I'm looking for folks. I can't make it to really that many hikes. I mean, they're all over the country. I have a full-time job. I have a wife. I have kids. Um, so I can make it to a lot of the local hikes, but you know, heading out to California or Nashville or... Las Vegas, it's going to be really difficult for me. So, what I'm looking for are folks who are motivated to um, actually go back and listen to some of my episodes where I'm just on the hike interviewing people. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like correspondence on the streets, uh, sound bites from the different hikes. You know, what are people's motivations for being out there? Uh, What are people taking away? Well, just the sounds of the hike and the singing and and the screaming and the laughing and all that stuff. So, if you're interested in being a 21-Gun uh, correspondent, please send me an email, kevin at, spell it out, 21gun.net, and um, yeah, I'll help you from there. But I, I'm looking for folks who are interested in you know just gathering some of these interviews and then shoot them over to me, and then I'll edit them together, and we'll um, make more of these uh, live hike-type episodes. Tonight's guest is Andrew Marr. Andrew Marr is a former special operator. He's a Green Beret. Um, and he's got kind of a story that's familiar with a lot of folks uh, who served in the global war on terror in a, in a kinetic field, a field where uh, you were exposed to blast trauma, um, you know, repetitive gunfire, uh, maybe aircraft, tanks, whatever the, whatever your job was. If you were being you know, jostled around, uh, then this story is for you. Or even if you uh, suffer from post-traumatic stress, uh, a lot of what he talks about is very, very relevant. So Andrew's story, and I'm going to let him tell it, but I'll just kind of give you a quick idea what it's going to be about. Uh, He was on a lot of different medications. He was self-medicating with alcohol. He was at, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but judging by his interview, he was at you know, the proverbial rock bottom. And he finally decided that this is the end. I can't do this anymore. And he changed his life. So yeah, just a really cool story. And if you're out there and you feel like, man, I'm, I'm not 100%, I'm not operating the way I could be operating. Uh, I feel like garbage. I can't stand taking all these medicines. Listen to his story. Um, I'll put links in the, in the show notes below um, for resources after um, you listen to this episode. If you're interested in, in contacting Dr. Mark Gordon or seeing this protocol, which which literally saves lives. I'll put all his links in the uh, show notes below. And it's a good conversation. It's something that you should, uh, if you feel like this, sit down with your doctor, whether it's at the VA, whether it's your local doctor, and say, you know, it, could this protocol work for me? And uh, judging by the results that, that um, Andrew had, I think it would. Uh, really interesting guy, and I think you'll enjoy the episode. I don't have anything else, uh, which is surprising for a kid who likes to talk a lot. So without further ado, Andrew Marr. I was driving somewhere, I, I was probably in grad school at the time, because this is like maybe 2015, and I'm listening to Joe Rogan's podcast, because uh, you know, who doesn't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast? Mm-hmm. And I hear this this Green Beret talking about all this shit that sounded really, really familiar and a path to overcoming that that was completely outside my frame of reference right? Completely. Mm -hmm. And that is of course you, uh, Mr. Andrew Marr. So, um, yeah, uh, let's get into, let's get into quickly your journey that wound you up to the point where you're on Joe Rogan explaining your story about how, how you overcame this TBI. Um, I I don't know if there's any PTSD in there or, or anything like that, but this, this situation that you found yourself in.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, my start in the military came around 2006, so I finished my undergrad in uh, August of that year, and months to my parents' dismay, uh, enlisted shortly thereafter uh, to become a special forces Green Beret. My brother, who's uh, two years younger than, younger than me, was just finishing up his ROTC at the time uh, with at TCU. He went on to become a, a aviator in the army, flew Apache helicopters, but. That was kind of start there in 2006. I was a collegiate athlete. I played football. Once that uh, became pretty clear that that wasn't going to be a viable uh, career choice anymore, you know, I needed to find something else to do, something that was uh, purpose-driven, and you know, a, that that my unique skill set I thought could sure may, maybe aid in. You know what I mean? So, so what, that was kind of the first first place I thought. Yeah.
1: Uh, what kind of upbringing did you have? That uh, I mean, both you and your brother. You went for some pretty intense career choices. I mean, it's not like you went in and, uh, I don't know, became a services guy or a logistician. I mean, uh, military aviation is intense in and of itself. And then, of course, Green Berets.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, my parents didn't serve, uh, neither my dad or or my mom, but... Oddly enough, I'm one of four boys, and all four of us did serve. My older brother, Alan, uh, is 11 years older than I am. He was in the Navy, and then the three younger brothers were all in the Army. Me and my youngest brother uh, were combat arms. He was infantry. Uh, I Obviously, I was Special Forces, and then Adam went into Army Aviation. It wasn't like that was a thought-out plan. It just kind of developed and unfolded that way. Uh, I would say we were definitely a patriotic family. Um... My my dad wasn't very uh, opinionated uh, on, on things like that, but, you know, he, he you could tell he stood for something. My mom, very opinionated, always grew up talking about, you know, the flag and the sacrifice of others that were paid, that was paid in blood, you know, for the benefit of of freedom today and things like that. And I look back on that, you know, I I don't think she was consciously trying to see things. She was just trying to, you know, promote a level of understanding and and gratitude for the opportunities that we had in front of us. So that kind of just, you know, as things unfolded post 9-11, I think everybody who was of age, able body and mind had to ask themselves a serious question. And, you know, that was what what am I doing with my life when, uh, other people are making the decision tonight to go out and lay it down all on the line. And, uh, that, that hit incredibly close to me. That's my pursuit with that. My other brothers, like Adam, for instance, with being a Army Aviation it was just like ROTC was the way to pay for his school and it was like cool let's go and do it and then I think I want to be an aviator and was able to get branched aviation and then you know work it that way so he kind of, kind of just kind of fell into it as well, and then our youngest brother just kind of followed in the older brother's footsteps. That's kind of like you know led us to that path. It wasn't like we were destined to be third or fourth generation West Pointers or <laughs> carrying on this long lineage or tradition of of military service. It was just unique environment and circumstances, and uh, kind of led us to that. I wanted, I knew I wanted to be special forces. I looked at all the different special operations, uh, and I just figured that the um, the mission of the uh of the green berets resonated with me and i was a little bit older you know going in i had a little bit more uh life experience than say the you know 17 or 18 year old going in there so you know that that appealed to me um and i just thought it would be a great fit and uh so that was the the initial inroads that kind of led me to the military uh and in 2006 uh Went to the what they call the 18 X-ray program. So that's basically you can go from the street into the special forces qualification pipeline. That starts with going to what's called selection, assessment, and selection. So I did that. I want to say March, April of 2007. Started the Q course in May of 2007, and then graduated. You know, full on green beret. And uh, two years later, in 2009, that led me out to my first ODA. I went to First Group uh, out in Washington State. And I've been fortunate enough to be on the same ODA uh, for the next five years. So 2009 until uh, my medical retirement in 2015 it was all basically uh, with the same operational detachment. Okay. And um, yeah, so that's a quick uh, high overview of, of my background, career, how I got into that. Well, uh, long story short, man, I just was in and around an incredible number of uh, explosions. You know what I mean? Chronic glass wave exposure, whether that was from an IED or Uh, breaching or you know repetitive gunfire all the things that that we do in the military well with my football career you know playing essentially from 10 all the way through a a senior in college and banged my head thousands of times before and then get into a profession that um, is also not the best environment if you want to keep your head uh, in the most pristine shape as possible so it was after just a number of uh, you know low-grade what was called non-concussive you know, blast exposure that after my last deployment, I started to come down with all these new symptoms and symptoms that I had never experienced or, you know, had been in my historical timeline. Started with a complete loss of, uh, of energy and libido. And I'm like 32, yeah, 33 at the time. You know what I mean? So struck me as, as very weird, high energy, you know, type of dude, um, uh, plenty of, uh, strong connection between my wife and I. So as any guy, know, any guy knows when he gets back from deployment, you know, things can be a little bit difficult as you kind of getting back on some common ground. And I noticed like, I didn't want to, you know, have do anything sexually with my wife and it wasn't that I wasn't attracted to her. She's very attractive. It just wasn't there. So I thought, ah, you know, one less thing to worry about. It's not there. Um, it'll come, it'll turn itself back on. I'm sure had a very, you know, physically and emotionally draining last deployment. And, uh, you know, I just thought, Hey, we put our body through the ringer there and it's going to take some time to come back online. And it never came back online, but going back to what I was talking about with my wife, why that's difficult, um, for individuals in that situation is because from my wife's perspective, here's this very fit, you know, uh, engaging, person that she married it was now no longer seems to be sexually interested in her whatsoever so that was very troubling for her because she thought you know basically there's two things one you've either found somebody else or two you don't you don't love me enough and I was like why do we have to go to such extremes but that was kind of of, you know where her head was at and, and, and understandable all the way around so you know that was difficult starting to navigate some of these uh these new things that these symptoms would bring up that you just never really think about or you know, can't uh, plan for. Yeah. And so that was, that was the initial ones. And then instead of getting better, our body coming back online, it just seemed to get worse and worse and worse. And so I started having like physiological issues, headache, uh, blurry vision that would go into double vision, I'd have these micro seizures in, uh, in, in my extremities, usually my, my lower my legs, um, balance issues, you know, things like that it became just very difficult to, you know, carry on regular type of quality of life types of uh, activities. And so from there, the, as that physiological decline continued, started having more emotional issues uh, or, or psychological ones started to become incredibly depressed and I didn't really have a reason as I saw to be depressed. You know what I mean? I was married to the woman of my dreams living the life I wanted to live as special forces operator. We had the family we always hoped and planned for, but yet here I am depressed and with nothing to hang it on. And then you start to experience a lot of anxiety and what I thought were weak minded individuals problems and uh, again from never having that to having full-on panic attacks and now i'm having panic attacks in public in front of my wife and children at you know at home in the weight room nowhere was off limits and and so the only answer for those two things as you know as it you know kind of manifested was to put on a number of different medications well you're depressed We'll give you an antidepressant. We'll push the antidepressant up to the highest point of the dosing ceiling to continue to have what's called something called treatment-resistant depression. Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: And the answer for anxiety, we'll put you on one anti-anxiety medication. We'll put you on two anti-anxiety medications. We'll take the dosage for that to the farthest end of the dosing spectrum, like I said, to continue to have panic attacks. And uh, and so just got caught in this negative, like black cloud, the sinking abyss, man. And like for the first time ever, you know, I couldn't really fathom a way out of it. Started to have all kinds of cog- problems with cognition and my cognitive abilities.
1: Let me ask you a question. So as they were putting you on this, and again, I'm reflecting back to, to kind of when they were putting me on antidepressants and stuff, I, I had no foresight as to like, is this it for the rest of my life? Did you, were you thinking about that? Were you saying like, OK, these medicines, this is now me. This is something that, you know, you're 32 years old and at 52, you're going to have to be taking these same things and 62.
0: Yeah, it was never really rolled out that way. But I mean, you definitely when you're put in that situation, you definitely look at it from, you know, just about every angle as possible. I think my immediate response would be I'm on fire and I want to put this fire out. Right. I can't think about anything else except putting the fire out. Right. right. And, and then once you get so you're like, great, man, whatever. Like, I'll I'll figure out how to deal with this uh, in the mean. You know, it'll play itself out. But just right now, it's put out the fire. So, you know, you're open to explore different avenues. So, you know, if multiple doctors tell you, oh, you should go on an antidepressant. You are going to an antidepressant, not here to, to knock medication or do anything like that. For me, it caused um, the the problems it caused were greater than when I had started. So I was worse off for being on it than when I had started because it kind of zombie, for me, it zombified me, you know, it rid me of any, you know, uh, emotional connection to anything. I was just kind of, like I said, this zombie there just kind of existing or rather than existing kind of, you know, wasting away. So there wasn't really any talk about that, but as further as I got was on it and I didn't like the results it was producing, you know, you start to think like, you know what man like nobody ever it seemed to be somebody's subjective opinion Mm -hmm. to put me on these things so what I mean by that there wasn't like any objective measurements being taken to say oh you know what you're deficient in this antidepressant so we got to put this antidepressant in you I'm I'm making a joke there because nobody's deficient in an antidepressant (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah. it's something else but there was, like I said, there was just no objective test to do that. So it was like, man, this is this is outrageous because it seems to be like, one, nobody's talking to anybody else as far as the different specialization fields of, in the medical arena, and then two, it seems to be predicated on symptom management or, or uh, sick care as opposed to you know wellness and preventative you know type of thing so mm-hmm. you know that, that's what really stuck out with me uh going on down that pathway was like one it, it i was worse off for it and then two like three there are a different way that we can identify if any underlying condition and then go after the underlying condition rather than just put a band-aid on managing symptoms and so you know that was kind of that that, that thought process uh, through that escapade
1: sure and it's it's you know working in medicine I, I never I mean I worked for three or four years before it dawned on me that you know throwing medicine okay yeah there's situations where you got to throw medications at, at things right it, it kind of sure. like you were saying you got to put the house fire out and then kind of figure out how do we rebuild but it took me a long time before I was like hey do you know what what if we just start acting like humans again? What if we start putting the right foods in our body? What if we mm-hmm. start trying to get the right amount of sleep? What if we move, you know, uh, you know how many people just don't move the way that humans are supposed to move? Uh, and I mm-hmm. started turning back to that sort of world of, of it sounds, you know, if I heard myself talking when I first got out of PA school, I'd be like, well, "Who's this? You know, this woo guy, right? He's crazy. But it, I implemented those into my life and changed, you know, 75% of my symptoms. And I've Mm -hmm. seen it work on individuals, you know, just returning back to uh, basically rehumanizing the human instead of just throwing uh, medications and and numbing down the symptoms. If you find the root cause, and the root cause is usually environmental, being that... uh, So what I mean by environmental is... Uh, in your case, working in an environment where there's shock waves and there's blasts <laughs> and there's head injuries um, and and finding that environment and making the changes and then seeing what what comes out of it.
0: yeah, for sure. I think it's it's uh, it's crucial information, right to figure yeah. out what what environmental patterns and and what even furthermore, what behavioral patterns maybe am I running, and I'm not even aware of? It's this kind of subconscious, yeah. a subconscious yeah, yeah. program. Mm-hmm. So that that process of awareness, however the individual goes about it, kind of opens up you to this whole whole new level of being, or maybe potential. Right. And and that awareness, you know, you start to put awareness on those things that you've gone unconscious on. And you start to realize, man, I would never consciously choose to be that way or choose to make those decision sets or, you know, engage in those behavior patterns. Yet we find ourselves doing it because it's a unconscious, a subconscious, you know, program. So it's, you know, it's easy to fall victim to that. If oh, it's you, so you, easy. Yeah. The, the rat race of life, you know, gets turning and you're in the career and you're in your job. Then all of a sudden, you know, some type of crisis happens and it can cause you to pause and reflect um and maybe hopefully make some some good changes there um or you know maybe you can make the changes from from an awesome state however you get there but you know there's there's this usually this crossroads that you come to and you have this new level of awareness and you realize like maybe i am contributing if not all a large part to whatever you know outcomes are happening in my life therefore How do I need to change the way I do things to produce better or superior outcomes?
1: Sure. In your journey, did you trust the system or was it a a series of events that made you start saying, wait a minute, let's let's get a better picture of what's going on with me?
0: I guess when, yeah, you get plugged into it and you become reliant on it to fix you, you know what I mean, type of thing. Uh, So that that's when I really got involved in it. And then, you know, becoming aware of one, I I didn't want to remain in the state that I was in. It didn't seem like a conscious decision, even though it had drastically changed everything about me. It wasn't visibly apparent, but something had happened to cause this, you know, uh, shift in myself from from one, you know, from one end of the spectrum to another. And so then having to go and see, like, you know, my unit did everything they could for me. It was out of their, you know, realm of uh, expertise. So they did what they should have done. They, you know, uh, linked me up with everybody who was supposed to be in that realm of expertise. Mm-hmm. A dozen different, you know, specialized fields of medicine where you would have to wait two to four weeks to get an appointment to get a follow-up would be another three to four weeks, you know. So we're talking about to actually get some meaningful information, you know, two months turnaround. And that that was, you know, relatively standard. And then to go to all these different different specialists, and nobody was communicating with one another. So they were just looking at their perspective uh piece of the pie, so to speak, without any awareness to how maybe the body is like this symphony and it's not in isolation. It's all acting, you know, in accordance together to produce this, this symphony. So if one instrument's out, it's going to mess up the, you know, the whole, the whole orchestra. Sure. Yeah. But there was, yeah, there was never any conversation about that. So, you know, it was going to in and out of all these different specialists being very unhappy it was a inefficient and ineffective, uh, you know, non-effective, uh, processes. I found it. I just got really fed up with it. And, you know, I'm a senior enlisted green beret. I can get away with things that most others couldn't. And so when I, you know, I'm sitting across from a full kernel endocrinologist and he's telling me that the only physiological explanation that my hormone levels are so low is that I abuse anabolic steroids and the only way that he'll treat me is if I first pass a, uh, a urinalysis for anabolic steroids out the gate. I just, That shit just infuriated me Sure, because yeah. I was like, again, like, I can fend for myself, I can think for myself, I can do all these things, but what's the – 17 or 18 year old pfc supposed to do like that guy doesn't have a fucking chance man
1: hey let me tell you i i worked so when i was a student um i they sent me over to womack ironically the hospital that that where everything went south for me and i was working on the psychiatric floor uh as a pa student at, at womack hospital and and i can tell you from the from the side of it that i was on they were I want to say the guy I was working under was probably a major, a captain or a major. They were very, very dismissive of, I mean, there was a Green Beret uh, medic who was there who had a, attempted suicide. And uh, I my job was to go you know, interview him and come up with my spiel or whatever um, as a student, kind of like what I think was going on. And the doctor was just kind of like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I said, well, he, you know, he's done uh, 12 deployments. And he said, pfft. He said, these guys go out for two weeks. at called a deployment. And I was like, wow, they they really, really dismissed the shit that people were going through and the situation that they found them in. And this was in 2011, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very real.
0: Yeah, it, it's frustrating for sure. And so the biggest takeaway I guess I got from it, man, is like, you know, uh, active duty service member, if we have excruciating... Back pain, or uh, you know, a knee injury, or a broken arm, we're going we're going to go and, and injure, uh, image the area that that we think is responsible for that, so we can get a clear picture, a clear understanding of what's going on, and so then we can therefore understand what we need to do to support the body's innate ability to heal itself. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Well, if somebody has crushing depression or crushing anxiety why don't we look at at the brain you know what i mean uh because that's the key organ of the whole body that influences our whole psychology as i understand it and if we're not looking at an objective measurement to assess like hey is everything going on there that we know of is it you know operating correctly or not that could be huge but my my experience with it was about the exact opposite instead of saying okay let's take a look see if we can get a picture an image you know, look at the chemistry, whatever, whatever mechanism you wanted to use, what the overwhelming evidence was, it was somebody's subjective opinion to put you on a bunch of medication, going back to the, you know, the, the, the practitioners, the healthcare practitioners, nothing mm-hmm. but love for them, man, they're doing the absolute best they can, they're in a broken system, they're- People, uh, whether it's active duty or veteran side, with all these issues, and they're not really sure what to do about it. You know yeah. what I mean? The answer is not, well, this guy's just been on 12, two week deployments, and this is what happens. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> the yeah. person wasn't that way before. And then something has progressed and now they're this way. So we have to ask good questions. We have to look at, you know, look at things from, from different angles, try to figure out what's really going on. That was, you know, the biggest some of the biggest takeaways I had from, you know, navigating the medical the medical model, as we call it.
1: Sure. When when was the point where you had enough and you said there has to be a different way?
0: So I went through all that uh, foolishness on our base there, uh, joint base, Lewis McCord up in Washington State. So exhausted all the resources there, found out about this place called NICO, the National Intrepid Center of Excellence. It's the Department of Defense's premier institute for uh, brain injury you know, research and, and hopefully um, treatment. And it's, uh, the one I went to was out at Walter Reed. It's an outpatient, so you're there for four weeks, and uh, you kind of sleep uh, on base somewhere else. Uh, so not an inpatient, but an outpatient. So I was, I did four weeks there. You know what I mean? And it was great because the people at NICO really listened to you. They really, you know, they really cared. You weren't just, you know, a number over there. You were treated really humanely. I found, though, in the end, um, that was that was all well and good, and I think they're doing some decent research out of there. But as far as like coming up with any conceptual plan or treatment, long-term treatment plan that is of was of any value. Well, I didn't get anything, you know, of that. I went in there, I think on six medications came out on 13 and they do an exhaustive, you know, analysis from head to toe inside of out of everything you know, that that's going on with you medically. And, and that was kind of the, some of the nails in the coffin to, to my military career. But you know, that was like, okay, it's like, okay, I've now done everything that the military has to offer and I'm no better for it. I'm told basically like, Hey man, this is, this is what you have to deal with now. These are your new parameters had your wife everywhere you go. Cause she's going to need to take care of you. You are not gonna remember, remember anything. You can't, you won't be able to, to drive this, this, that, and the other. And it just continued to spiral, uh, out of control, uh, came home from that. Uh, my son has been having some, uh, had a genetic you know illness uh, genetic what they call uh, lymphatic malformation in his neck he was born with it it was like this little pee uh in his neck no big deal but he got sick and the thing swelled up to like the size of a softball in a matter of hours and so that started like an eight-week process with uh, us and him in the hospital and he's just going through a number of surgeries he's 13 months old at the time and uh, the hardest thing I think I've ever had to deal with is watching the pain and suffering of of, of a child, uh, especially when they can't really comprehend why it's, what's happening and, and why it's happening to them. But it got to this point, silly I was I was with my boy there. He just had a operation removed this massive growth out of his neck, like I said. And uh, I just understood as I'm there with him in the ICU that my life was at this crossroads. And it was going to go one of two ways. I could continue on that same path I was on, the path that – you know, conventional medicine had laid out in front of me and and quite frankly the one I've been blaming for all my problems. But as I looked down at Jace, my boy, I realized that in that moment I was of no value to him or my family in the condition that I was in. The only place that was taking me was towards an early grave. And that at that moment was just no longer an option to me. So the other option, as I saw it, was to revert back to – my to our foundational level of training, which was to embrace this new current level of pain. But this time, to to embrace it, to channel it, and redirect it to something positive. And, um, you know, I've always kind of fallen back to the principle, if you don't like something, you fix it. And going back to the level of care I'd received through the system was a series of just mind-bending band-aids that didn't work. They didn't work because they didn't identify, nor did they treat the underlying condition. Right. You know, for the injuries. And really, it just it made things drastically worse. So when I finally got outside of myself for a moment and I came up for air and took a look around, you know, I was observing our community at large, I realized, man, you know what, this problem is not special or specific to me like I thought it was. I observed, like, like the plague, it was running rampant through our whole community. So next I promised my son and myself three things. One, that I would return to the man of my pre-injury status, because I was not happy with the man that I was at that moment. Two, that I would find a way to come off all that medication that I was on, that I was told I would have to be on for the rest of my life. And I didn't care at that point what I had to do, where I had to go, who I had to see, you know, how much money it cost, how long it took or what anybody else had to say about it. Because in my mind, those two things were non-negotiable. And once they were accomplished, number three was to turn around and to help somebody else do the exact same thing. So what was once the wor- what I thought was the worst thing in my life has now turned out to be one of the best. Um, because if the same actions produce the same results and they do this crossroads decision set, you know, it put me, forced me into a new mode of thinking, a new level of action that, you know, went on to produce new results. And that's really what was going after. But that was the, really the, the low point that pushed me to say, there's going to have to be some changes to be made and the cavalry's not coming. It's going to it's up, it's up to me. Not only is it up to me for my life. It's up to me for all these lives that I'm responsible for and hold dearly, and, and that put it at a higher, you know, a higher plane for me uh, to buy into going out and finding a way to heal myself and then to help others do the exact same thing.
1: Of the 13 medicines that you were on, how many are you currently on right now? Zero. Now, see, that, it, that's a phenomenal story in and of itself. Uh, I can't tell you how many patients I work with and how many friends that I just have that are veterans that I think are still in the mindset. I mean, they are that this is the new normal. This is my default setting. My default setting is anxiety. My default setting is uh, back pain. My default setting is fatigue, low libido. I guess the question is, I know a lot of people that, and they've probably just been defeated because they've been put through the system and they get to a level of functioning through, uh, and I'll just use myself as an example, you know, through Ambien to sleep, to Effexor to get rid of uh, social anxiety and anxiety, through Xanax to fight through um, uh, panic attacks, um, uh, Imitrex to fight off migraine headaches, you know, just a list and that becomes your default setting. That doesn't have to be the case. And I don't think people understand that. It, it, yeah. There are other ways about it. I'm in your boat. I take zero medicines. I haven't had Imitrex in four years. I, I, it took me three years, but I got off of, um, of Effexor. Um, you know, I didn't like the way I was when I got medically retired at all. And yeah. when they put me on those medicines... At the time, I thought that this is just normal now, and this is how I'm supposed to feel. Uh, I wasn't having panic attacks anymore, but I also wasn't addressing all the shit that caused me to get in that situation to begin with.
0: Right. <laughs> I think if I have anything to add to what you said, which was great, was that I think sometimes we need a wake-up call to wake up, and it's almost the birthplace of responsibility because when you take back the power of owning you know, the outcomes in your life... Whether it be health or, you know, financial or, you know, uh, personal relationships, whatever it may be, when you when you put yourself in the driver's seat uh, of being responsible for how that plays out. I mean, that that's going to cause you to act on a whole different level. And uh, for me, anyways, it was like, you know, I put out the fire. Hey, this seems to be causing more trouble than we got started. Then, okay, well, if these things exist or, you know, these problems have manifested now interesting what caused them to manifest had to be something and how can we identify it and if we can identify that main cause or wherever the you know the the leak in the dam is can we then go and can we plug that up or do what we need to do to treat it as effectively and, and hopefully holistically and naturally as possible and and then that kind of puts you on this new journey of self-discovery. Sure. Um, that that's a fascinating one of itself. But you know, I, I think we need uh, we need pain, we need crisis, we need problems um, because it can propel us into becoming more than than we were before that.
1: Sure. Um, a follow up question to the the medicine question, like how many medicines are you on now? Your let's say uh, where you were when you were on those medicines, we'll call that a hundred percent in your in your uh, pain and disability area. Where are you now, percentage wise, in, in a in that state? Does that make sense? Like how how much did your protocol, and we'll, I want to talk about the protocol, but how much did the protocol alleviate your symptoms?
0: Uh, I, I've, people have varying degrees, uh, of responding to it. I had all my symptoms resolve themselves. Um, so today I'm performing as good, if not better than my, than my pre-injury status. You know, I've gone on to do, uh, did a certificate course at Stanford graduate school, of Business ignite program. You know, if we run an organization and now have uh, some for-profit companies coming online and I'm wrapping up my, uh. MBA at Pepperdine University. It'll be done uh, this coming April. You know what I mean? So uh, cognitively, you know, firing on all cylinders, and that's pretty much across the board. So, you know, we've broken the four-minute mile and that it's not special or specific to me. We've got hundreds and hundreds of cases, documented cases through our organization, and then Dr. Gordon, you know, in total, uh, thousands of cases where, we know that we can, we can produce these types of results, you know, following a scientific method. We can predict, we can measure, and, and we can replicate. Uh, and once you've done that a couple thousand times, you start to see some pretty specific patterns play out and how to, you know, how to better uh, preempt those patterns, produce better, better, better and better results. But I'm, I'm doing as good, if not better, than my pre-injury status. Not special, not specific to me. If you're out there listening right now and think that's, you know, that's far flung, I'm telling you, you can do the same thing. You can you can reach or exceed whatever potential you think has been you've been capped at. Um, but you're going to have to take an incredible amount of, you know, responsible and decisive action to to get to those results.
1: So uh, you're with I, I believe it's Dr. Mark Gordon. Yeah. Okay. Now explain to folks that um, it's a complicated. I mean, just reading through his stuff, it's a complicated uh, protocol of looking at so TBI uh, is traumatic brain injury, and it mimics many of the symptoms that we're seeing. What he discovered was that these these microtraumas, you know, not necessarily like you said at the beginning of the interview, not necessarily uh, loss of concussion, but could be um, from from breaching a door or whatever. It causes these little little tears in the brain, in the brain tissue, and the neurons that causes neurotoxicity in your brain, which causes inflammation. Also messes mm-hmm. with your pituitary gland, and so it, it, what he does does is he basically goes in and measures those hormones and comes up with a supplementation and a hormone replacement plan specifically catered to each person that comes to to his clinic is that right
0: yeah that that's very basically it and i'll use some big, big words and then I'll, I'll break it down for people like like myself who need to broken down in smaller words right. but uh and he did a, gr- a great job of of connecting the dots there but there's all these symptoms right anger fatigue depression anxiety diminished libido disturbed sleep uh what else difficulty concentrating faulty judgment uh have problems switching between tasks panic attacks um you know impaired memory the list goes on and on and on and on point being is these symptoms arise and, and i think what we do in large part is say you know I now have anxiety as opposed to saying I'm, I'm experiencing anxiety. But the question really means what I, I came across is when it becomes chronic, when it becomes long term, like, Hey man, like what's, what's causing, you know, those things. And so that's when Mark came in and he was like, Hey, we, have we've developed, you know, a, a unique, uh, proprietary lab panel, that, can, that looks at these very specific, you know, brain hormones um, uh, called neurosteroids and neuroactive steroids uh, produced and created below the, the neck. And, you know, we can then take a snapshot and also look at, you know, other things in the chemistry to figure out, you know, what's going on right now, how the brain's working, where the shortcomings are, where the deficiencies or the insufficiencies are. Everything is driven, like you said, by inflammation, neuroinflammation, So you can call it traumatic brain injury. You can call it it chronic traumatic encephalopathy or all these other acronyms. What they're really talking about is some type of neurotrauma that's ended up in this neuroinflammatory condition. And so when the brain is inflamed like that long term, that's when these neuropsychiatric conditions, changes in my behavior or how I relate to the world now have changed, but I can't really... There's nothing I can, like, hang it on. I can't see it. There's not a – I'm not missing an eye, you know, or a limb or anything like that. So how do you find out, you know, what? what's the driving factor behind all that? And that was the the lab panel that he had come up with over, like, you know, 15 years of, of constant working at it. So he has this very specific lab panel, and it's going to show you, like, hey, if if all these things – like, and, like, it's, it's – there's no arguments. Like, if you show these things you're deficient in these areas, it comes from – You know, the brain not working properly or there being trauma to the hypothalamus or the pituitary. And this is the way it reacts when there's trauma there becomes deficient and pushing out this chemistry that run the that runs the body. How that manifests is depression, anxiety, ability to relate to somebody, panic attack, all the all the things that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. So that's where we just come full circle to saying. Okay, you're you're not your symptoms, but we need to follow the symptoms back to where they started. Almost, every, everything starts in inflammation. So you got to figure out, you know, what what's causing the inflammation, and can I mitigate that? Can I modulate that? Can I turn it down, lower it, while at the same time replacing or replenishing the chemistry that the body no longer makes. Not to like a, like a, if you need testosterone, hot topic. Uh, not like bodybuilder levels. We're talking about the physiological optimal levels that you need to, to run your body. And what I need for me to perform at a certain level is going to be different than what Sully needs and, and vice versa. That's the biochemical individuality, the uniqueness of it, of us all. So it was cool because it wasn't a cookie cutter program. It could immediately identify, you know, what was going on by looking at, you know, how the the uh, the, the the CPU was functioning. And then go out and have a, a, a very specific and personalized plan of action. Lower information, replace or replenish what the body doesn't make. And for the most part, we can do that pretty using natural products. Uh, using 80, 85% of the time, the only uh, not natural things we use is bio-identical hormones um, if, if the individual will need it. But so when, when, when we were able to do those just very easy things, uh, identify Objectively identify the root cause, then go and attack the root cause, drop inflammation, and replace, replenish the chemistry that the individual no longer makes. What Mike's experience has shown, what Mark Gordon's work has shown, what our work together has shown, what the science clearly shows is when that happens— People get better. Symptoms stop start to resolve themselves. And you don't. We haven't. We we found we haven't. We don't need to give a person a twelve step program or workout like this or eat like this. They have the wherewithal, the new zest for life. That you want to. We're going to start asking themselves questions like, "What could I do to become better?" Uh, what can I do to improve my situation? And from there, then the individual is going fi- to, you know, figure it out. And so if we can correct the, and it's the most, lo- it's the lowest hanging fruit, so to speak out there. It's, it's really the easiest way to go, go about it. So, you know, that, that, that is the protocol in a nutshell. It's that identification of two things, inflammation, deficient chemistry, and then dropping the inflammation, replacing the uh, that chemistry, man, people get better when we do that. And And, and that's exciting.
1: And you have a lot, a lot of, of folks who are getting better. Like you said, did you say over a thousand?
0: We've done, I think, uh, Mark's got over 2,800 documented cases. And I think we're, we've sponsored about 450 directly, um, thousands indirectly with other, um, physicians in our network, you know, pushing people out to them. But yeah. And, the, the the clinical observation, I use observation because you can't really say study because it wasn't a study, but mm-hmm. retrospectively, looking back at the clinical ob- observation, I think about 72% of the time, uh, the person is able to have a 70% improvement or better and also come off their medication. So seven out of 10 times we're producing drastic and significant results.
1: Man, that's, that's insane. That's insane yeah. considering... The the uh, chronicity of symptoms that we are seeing across the board uh, in the veteran community, they're so quick to say it's PTSD, take your meds or as we used to say, shut up and color um, than it is to go through a, a, a program like this. Now, is the DOD responding to this? Is the VA responding to this? Is is the mainstream medical community responding
0: to this? You know, those things happen, you know, by by gravestones, some of the famous uh, scientist's uh, name escapes me right now. So it's working its way in there. I think what Mark says is, uh, Dr. Gordon says, is I haven't discovered, you know, any of this. The science already exists. I've just read it and, you know, codified it into a clinical system that, that, that we can use. But the science I didn't create, I didn't, you know, observe. I just read it and put it into this. So, and again, I think when you follow that, you know, that paradigm, it takes about 30 years, I, I've heard it say, from an actual scientific breakthrough to become in, you know, common nomenclature or something that people greatly understand. Or think about it this way, when the Wrights brothers, the first to take flight, they took flight when, whenever that was, and it was like 12 seconds, that initial run. Yeah commercial airlines, you know, didn't come into play for like another 50 years. So it's like it's it's figuring out, okay, there's these these new ways of doing things and then making that become something that's mainstream and setting up the entire ecosystem that can support that takes time. So but when you're producing superior results like this, they're all everything is evidence based. Here's the real kicker. For um, budget makers and decision makers within the government, if it ever gets to that level, is we know how much it costs to put the tax uh, cost taxpayer to put a veteran through care for traumatic brain injury and post traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. We know because the Congressional Budget Office published the report, yeah, and it's around sixteen thousand dollars, and that's again mostly psychotherapy and medication. That's so that's chronic care afterwards, and what we've been able to show is we can cut those costs in in half and sometimes up to 70% while actually helping the person to improve their 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 symptomatology improve their quality of life come off all the medication that they're on achieve, achieve and attain a higher you know level of effectiveness and efficiency in their own life you know producing awesome results in the community so like you have this rippling effect over time where an individual is vastly better and it costs less to the taxpayer to be able to do that as opposed to the current system as it's headed that way so you know we can hit them in the hearts we can hit them in the wallets you know got you know all bases covered it, it just it just takes time and i think the reason uh i have some numbers here that that should probably make people really think but you know we have all these uh veterans being identified as having head injury or or having ptsd or having problems with anxiety depression and all the other anxiety related um problems but we know this great science on this says up to one out of two so up to one out of every two head injuries they will go on to major mental disorder after their TBI diagnosis. So one out of two head injuries has the propensity to go on and develop a major mental disorder after the diagnosis. In America, we have 46.6 million Americans, according to the National Institute of Medical Health, that in 2017 had a mental illness uh, with with anxiety. That's about 20% of the population, uh, the adult population. 46.6 46.6 million Americans. So the question that we're really asking is how many of those has been a misdiagnosed or undiagnosed head injury? You know, right. how many globally? It, it's, it's astronomical when you understand it in, in those terms. And so that's why it's so important, you know, to get the information out, to, to educate people listening to it. And then also say, hey, here's some other alternatives. If you haven't thought about that, this might be able to benefit you or a loved one. Sure.
1: Has anyone tried to, you know, I'm in the system, right? I'm in the medical system, and I know that they want you to march to a, a certain tune. Has anyone come after Dr. Gordon about his uh, novel approaches? And anyone ever said, hey, dude, you're treating people with psychiatric illnesses with over-the-counter supplements? And, and, and that, can, like I said, I mean, it, it, in the world of medicine, they can come after you.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's why it's very important that you're able to back everything up that you're doing, you know, with just stacks and stacks of the scientific literature to to support that. Um, Yeah, I mean, we go and speak all, all over the country and. Um, you know, without fail, there's always people in there that, that want to challenge, uh, what he's putting forth and like, that's great. Let's have an open and and honest dialogue. But a lot of times I found it's just more of of a belief system that somebody's bought into. And like, if there's a current way to do it better, man, like we're, we're all ears. But if you're telling me, and I you know, I respect the level of education and training somebody had to go in a psychiatric profession or healthcare profession to attain their level of competence, but we know what these typical these treatment modalities, the type of results they're you know, they're producing. And I don't think anybody's gonna say, yeah, like that that's acceptable. You know what I mean? So unless you're just telling me that we should keep doing what we're doing and and producing far from superior outcomes, then what What's your suggestion? And if yeah. you don't have one, then can you knock this on its scientific merits and just not your, your your personal belief system? You know that that's what I found. And so it's funny, man. Like supposed to be open minded uh, and you know navigating the scientific you know journey of discovery. And I've found many uh, healthcare professionals and scientists to be as dogmatic as you know some radical religious beliefs.
1: Yeah, it's a scary thing, but but you're also right about that time is is valuable, you know, as these as these uh, I, I want to call them novel approaches, but they're really not novel, right? These approaches are more in line with with like I said earlier with how the human body is designed and made to run, right? We're ma- yeah. we're not made to run by putting poisons in us, which all medicines are to some extent, uh, a poison dose to a level where you get the desired outcome. Um versus let's just bring our body back to a state of homeostasis where things are operating the way they're supposed to operate and 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 the other thing too, he's not stacking bodies, right? He's not like, oh well, that didn't work. His outcomes are fantastic and mm-hmm. and it seems to work and, and looking at the suicide rates and looking at the depression rates, something has to change. Now I understand he you said he's got a network of uh, physicians that are, are are following along with this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, uh, Dr. Gordon has what's called the Millennium Health Centers. Okay. Our, our organization is called the Warrior Angels Foundation. Yeah, I wanted and to ask you it, about that. Yeah, and together we have the uh, Millennium Warrior Angel uh, Physician Network. So. Mark's come up with, uh, actual, you know, a training program to train, educate, train, and certify other physicians on this advanced methodology. So then, you know, they can use it, uh, in their practices as well. So, uh, since about 2015 together, uh, we, I say we, uh, you know, liberally Mark has trained over 500 different providers, uh, all, all over from all over the world, um, And uh, we we plan to do more of that, finding ways to to scale what we've been doing to bring more people into the uh, into the ecosystem. Does he train PAs? Yeah, for sure. Whoa,
1: (laughs) I might have to talk to him.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to think. I'll, I'll, I'll give you more information we usually do two three sometimes four different events a year trying to switch over to do a virtual uh because that's a uh, more scalable where we can you know see more people and they can revisit the information so um you're going to be in luck here relatively soon sweet um a couple quick things too
1: I want to get over uh tell me about warrior angels foundation like what what is that
0: just going back to that bedside decision set to my boy um, where I was going to get better, I was going to come off meds, and if I was able to do that, I felt like I was going to spend a good portion of my life, if not the rest of my life, helping others to do the same thing, mm-hmm. um, and and that was it. For, for me, it was... Focused on helping people with a traumatic brain injury, which as we went on to find out You know when you're talking about all these different mood disorders oftentimes it's some undocumented, you know head trauma or uh, led to these this level of inflammation in the brain that the person didn't even understand or, or realize it even, even happened. So we just wanted to be a catalyst, one, to put out really good information, and two, to be able to help as, as many people as possible. I think it was, uh, we started the organization in 2015, and I guess by the end of 2016, like, the response that we got was just so overwhelming that we realized that there was no way we we're going to be able to reach all the people who needed help. So we could just provide, again, a platform to to educate, to turn people to where they could take action to show them how they could best do it themselves and to provide financial support for as many people as, as we could, um, uh, specifically in the, in the service member and veteran community uh, to start out with. And, and that's, that's the genesis and the whole mission of the War Angels Foundation.
1: I have a lot of friends that would be interested uh, and that are hearing this and they're probably saying this sounds a lot like what I'm going through. Where do they start? Where does someone begin to to undergo this process?
0: Yeah, there are uh, one of two ways. You can go to our website, waftbi.org, there's a wealth of information on that site. Um, for, for those out there that haven't been on there. And two, um, there, there's ways for you to contact us or get in touch with us. We're not currently taking any new, um, candidates at this time. Like I said, um, the response that we get is, is pretty overwhelming to put it into numbers. In 2018, we had over 5,000 patient requests from 32 different countries. Um, So we just can't. And, and that's without basically doing any marketing, you know, on our, our side, just word has gotten out.
1: Yeah.
0: And so uh, unfortunately, man, like the odds of somebody hearing this and getting funded through the foundation is probably slim to none because we have to be very strategic about how we do that. Uh, the other option is to be seen. You can be seen by Dr. Gordon and, or somebody in his network uh, directly. Uh, and you can they can be seen through telemedicine, telehealth, wherever you're at, and that's tbihelpnow.org. Tbihelpnow.org. That's uh, Dr. Gordon's TBI website, and you can you can get linked up with him and his network through that site as well.
1: Uh, how about your book, uh, Tales from the Blast Factory? Where can people find that?
0: Oh, it's where, wherever books are sold. Uh, Amazon's always a, a good one to go. Another cool thing is we wanted to find where somebody could get access to world-class you know brain care brain health without having to be uh displaced geographically without having to wait in waiting rooms or waiting lines or anything that so been able to curate and cultivate this basically this digital ecosystem strategic ecosystem where we uh once you're in the program whether it's through us or, or with mark dr gordon directly um the lab component is just a huge component. We're going to, we have our laboratory is access medical labs and they're out of Jupiter, Florida, but they're going to send you, say you're in North Carolina, they'll send you the, uh, the blood kit, the lab draw kit to your house. And they're going to make, um, they're going to make plans for you to go to a lab draw facility. That's, relatively close to your geographic facility um, location so if you're there in raleigh they're going to say at raleigh they're gonna say hey sully here's your blood kits kit. coming to you um here's all the, the here's a place we want you to go we want you to go to between you know these hours on these days and all you have to do is hand them the kit the lab will take the kit they'll uh they'll they'll draw the blood they'll do all the, everything they have to do mail it back overnight to Jupiter Florida Access Medical Labs they'll run it they'll upload those results in their HIPAA compliant platform Dr. Gordon or the physician will get it and they'll be able to send you a detailed you know patient packet uh, th- through uh, their HIPAA compliant you know, uh, platforms. So you'll have access to what your results were, then we'll schedule a physician consultation with you to be taken over a Skype or a video conference tool or whatever's best for the individual. But they'll go over in excruciating detail all of the what, what your you know the interpretation of your labs, and mm-hmm. then more importantly, what your personalized treatment protocol will be, and you know, then so then the next day or the next business day, the whatever you need as far as products, be it nutraceuticals or. Uh, hormones um, it'll be basically shipped to your door the next business day so again man without ever having to really leave your house other than to get a blood draw uh, we've linked people up with world-class you know brain care uh, without having to leave the house
1: yeah that's awesome and and how do they how do they get that kid again
0: they would have to so that's the first product so you can check our website waftbi.org okay. or mark Gordon's website TBI help now dot org and you can sign up for treatment there if you uh, you go through tbihelp.org you'll fill out like a new patient you know intake form some some specific information on you that'll allow you to start the allow them to start the paperwork process on you get you into their system then uh, the lab will reach out and verify your address and they'll mail it directly to you Um, but that's generally how the exchange goes
1: that's awesome and you guys have a, uh, a documentary coming out right
0: yeah so, yeah, so Tales from the Blast Factory, we wrote the book, uh, my brother and I, my brother Adam uh, resigned his commission in the Army, turned down a promotion to major uh, to help me kind of get back on my feet, and then we started the Warrior Organ- Angels Foundation uh, together together and adam was really the catalyst for the book he's like you know we're, we're gonna do a, a book you're gonna do it but i'm gonna help you you know uh, to make sure it gets done and that's exactly what he did so we were able to get a book deal put the book out um did uh, relatively well and then uh got out to a director out in hollywood um two-time emmy award-winning director She's has like 27 films in the documentary space anyway she loved it um and we went through this process process of figuring out if we were right for each other and you know what she wanted to do with the film this that and the other so i found out it was a good fit so in 2017 summer 2017 we started working on putting the film uh in place we started filming in 2018 is that right yeah I started filming in 2018 and, and basically wrapped this summer um and so now we we're we, we are down to two different distributors um, ironing out those contracts we'll uh, get our distributor and then it will be a theatrical release sometime hopefully in the spring or late spring early summer of 2020 awesome it's yeah. so I... quiet, quiet explosions is the name of the film okay we have the, the, the trailer is up on our website and there's a quiet Explosions" site as well uh, as a as a trailer
1: there's so many uh, i think one of the the long-lasting legacies of of these wars that that we've experienced is the amount of veterans out there who are just taking matters into their own hands and 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 using technology and using their talents and their efforts to to help each other it's heartwarming because it's it's you know if you can't find the answer then then i mean you're not looking in the right place because there's answers out there and there's so many of us out there that are are just trying to help each other, and that's that's incredible, man. You got a great story.
0: Oh, I, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, it, it just all comes down to getting to a point where you have to come to to understanding the realization that it's like if no, nobody's going to do it for me, nobody's going to live my life. nobody you know. So, if there's a story to tell, it's up to me to tell it. If there's a right there's a wrong to write it's up you know it's up to you to write it if there's a way for you to bring this to so other people can get it don't wait for somebody else to do it get out there make it play make something happen and things start to line up when you take that attitude and that mindset
1: yeah yeah
0: well thank
1: you so much for sharing your story with the irreverent warriors and myself and um hopefully you know some of the guys that i know are going to look into this it's it's not an easy process man i had to Um, And again, I just dip my toes into it. I just dip my toes into the anti-inflammatory protocol, right? Right. Uh, But all my medicines I'm off of, right? And that simple, simple, you know, maneuver. And I do take, you know, I'm on some supplements and stuff like that. But, and then it comes down to, there's a little bit of discipline in there, right? I, I have to look at the pizza or the donuts and say, Is is yum for three seconds worth, you know, not sleeping tonight, having rapid heart rate? And it's not. I've got myself into a headspace where living and being 100% is is the catalyst to everything I do. And um, some folks would say I'm obsessive over it, but I'm not. It doesn't ruin my life. It doesn't make my... Anything, it makes my life a thousand times better. So... Yeah, it takes a little bit of work, it takes a little bit of dedication, but um you just have to you, you have to make that conscious decision like you made at your son's your son's
0: bedside. I think that's a litmus litmus test, right man? Like it, are these are these decisions, are these uh, actions are they producing the kind of outcomes that I want in my life? And if they're not, then <laughs> you know, it, it's time to break that pattern. Yeah. It's easier easier said than done, oh, but God, yeah. it seems to me like despite the struggle, you've achieved a high level of mastery over that, man. And I think that's the journey of life, the beautiful, uh, the beautiful expansion of, of, you know, life just continuing to manifest moment by moment is understanding you're a part of that discovery process and, you know, getting to partake in it. It's just that, that, that becomes beautiful in and of itself.
1: Hey, listen, thanks. I've, I've already taken over an hour of your time. Uh, I, I really, really appreciate it. Oh,
0: awesome. Awesome. So thank you for that. We're it, it, like I said, it was I think 2016, 2017. As an organization, we understood like, hey man, there's far too many fish in the sea than we can deal with through this current mechanism. So, how can we continue to grow and develop so we can scale and reach more people? So, going back to the question, that you talked about, you know, I try to get in with the VA or the DOD or, you know, any of those other outlets. Mm-hmm. The answer, answer is, is yes, a- absolutely. And, and we, we've talked to high level individuals over there, but I've come to the con- conclusion that the only real way to truly change things uh, socially, culturally, systemically is to create a kick-ass business. So it has to be a free market answer uh, because the market doesn't lie. And in, in, in most cases, And so we've already figured out, like, oh, my God, like without even really attempting to go after it, we've been created this incredible demand, this incredible product market fit in in an extremely big market, if you want to look at it that way. So then it looked at, like, how can we scale what we're doing with the foundation to an actual for profit business to make a digital health tech company where we can line up people who want access to physicians that can implement this level of care again without ever really having to leave the house because because the use of technology today we can we can access that and harness its power. Yeah. So to uh, come out and do uh, at scale so you don't have to be uh, uber wealthy to have this level of care you know be a, a veteran that got blessed to go through our program find out a way to bring the cost down and then to scale it to where we can bring it to everybody virtually that would want access to it in the u.s and that'll go live sometime in 2020
1: that's cool yeah technology is uh it's it's saving lives. Um, especially. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing too, is it's, it's becoming so much easier to learn about this stuff um, with, you know, I mean, I learned about it through Joe Rogan, but there's, I mean, you've been on a bunch of different podcasts, you know, there's blogs out there, there's your webs. I mean, it's just the information's getting out there and we just have to uh, just have to motivate people to realize that they don't have to be sick.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, Sally, dude, I certainly appreciate you reaching out, man. It was uh, inspiring yeah. and exciting to hear about your journey Uh, and you know how you're using that to, to positively impact other people. And, uh, I'd love to stay in contact and keep the relationship going.
1: Absolutely. Hey, when are we going to get you on a, uh, a silky psych? Yeah. Let me know when you guys are in Southern California, man. I'll be there. They were, is Long Beach in Southern California? Yeah. Yeah. I'm about 60 miles from Long Beach, probably. You just missed one. Uh, but, um, next year, 2020, our, our hike list is going to come out. Uh, it's over at irreverentwarriors.com and, uh, yeah, I'll let you know, I don't think I'm going to make it to any, uh, West coast hikes this year, but there's going to be a lot of good people out there. Oh
0: yeah. I, I love it, man. Absolutely. And then I, I'm going to check out that website. If I can make it out there for any of the East coast ones that you're at, we'll, we'll do that. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we went from, we had 38 hikes last year, each hike touched between 150 and 400 vets showed up to him uh, this year we're doing 60 hikes so uh, oh wow it's just it's growing it's growing really fast
0: that's badass bro awesome can't wait to be take part in it awesome all right well thanks andrew all right so appreciate it man. all right
1: no problem bye-bye Set the place on... Oh,